Welcome to It Starts Within, a podcast from Platinum Performance, where we'll dive into the health challenges faced by veterinarians and horse owners alike. Join us for inspiring stories about the latest advancements in equine care, treatments, and comebacks. You'll hear interviews with elite competitors, innovative researchers, and the veterinarians that devote their lives to horses and the humans that love them. At Platinum Performance, we know the power of nutrition starts within. Hey, Platinum listeners, welcome back to our podcast, It Starts Within. It's me, Emily Smith, hosting again, and I want to talk about one of the most relevant topics in all of the entire horse realm of subjects, which is hoof health. And today, specifically, some really common issues that we see in the equine foot and how to troubleshoot them. So joining me today is someone who I think it's safe to refer to as the most interesting man in the world on this very subject, Corey Payne. And I'll let Corey give you a bit more detail about his rad background, but I can sum it up by saying that he basically combines the holy hoof trinity of having specialized education and training, not only as a farrier, which is you know a specialization in and of itself, but he also has a master's in nutrition and now is graduating in May, so May 2021, from veterinary school at the great Texas A&M University. So he'll have his vet degree combined with his nutrition you know, master's, um, as well as his hand, hands-on experience as a farrier to further treat and care for horses and their truly fascinating feet. So I am really excited to introduce Corey Payne. How are you, Corey? I'm great. Perfect. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. I know your crazy schedule between vet school and being married and having a small child. And uh, mm-hmm. I think you still actually keep some clients to shoe horses as well. So <laughs> yes. uh, you've got a few things going on right now. For sure, yeah. Stay pretty busy trying to manage all of that. <laughs> well, t- I want you to tell me, in your own words, a little bit more about your um, unique background. Uh, maybe start with the farrier portion of it. Kind of, how did you get into it? How long have you been doing it? Any special, you know, special horses you work on? That kind of thing. Yeah. Well, uh, kind of my journey started back uh, when I was in college for the first time, uh, which would have been back in the early two thousands. Um, I graduated from Murray State University um, up in Kentucky um, with a degree in animal equine science from them. Um, it's a pretty pretty heavy school geared on equine. They have a good equestrian team, a lot of good equine programming. And so once I graduated from there, um, I actually went to work uh, for the University of Kentucky uh, doing some equine horse owner education, nutrition educational programs for them um, there around the state. And at that time, um, I actually got my master's um, in, uh, in nutrition. And so um, I did that for about seven years um, working with them. Uh, and other horse owners around the state, you know, doing a lot of different things from hay quality to to feeding to um, even a little bit of hoof care and other just general equine uh, kind of husbandry topics. Um, but uh, I learned how to shoe horses back when I was in college and uh, always really enjoyed that and uh, just really was drawn to it. Um, and so I always did that as while I was working as well um, for the university. 
And so about 10 years ago, I um, decided that um, I really wanted to just focus more on the farrier aspect. And so I had an opportunity um, to come down to Texas and start working down here um, around the greater Houston area. Um, it's a great area to work in. There's a large, you know, diverse population of different disciplines here. Um, you know, we have everything from the, you know, English performance horse to the Western performance horse and uh, everything in between. And so I expanded my farrier business um, and started doing farrier work down here full time. Um, and uh, while I was here, I'm pretty close to Texas A&M University. And I always wanted to go back and continue my education more. Uh, and I had debated um, going down the PhD track, maybe in nutrition or actually maybe in something like anatomy to kind of focus and help me more on the farrier aspect. Um, but I was doing some work uh, for some equine hospitals around the area and, and was really liked, you know, the veterinary side of everything and being able to combine that um, with my farrier background to, to really help, help these horses. I just really have a, a desire to, to optimize the equine athletes through being able to, um, you know, optimize their feet and their le legs and their um, conformation to be able to perform at their best. And so um, I decided that uh, I wanted to go to veterinary school so that I could be able to to be able to combine the medical aspect um, with the farrier aspect. And so uh, I applied to veterinary school here at Texas A&M and got in uh, back in 2017 and uh, now set to graduate here in four or five months. So. Oh my gosh, it's, it's, which is really a feat. I know it probably seems like you've been in school forever and ever, but I, you know, a lot of time, well, having horses myself and having a farrier, that we work closely with. My husband's a vet. Um, I know how closely farriers work with veterinarians, particularly for, you know, the, the more specific, um, difficult disease states and that kind of thing. And um, I don't know, I, and, and then bringing in the nutrition portion of it as well, which has a lot of, again, the disease states have a very prominent nutrition component to it. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> you're a one-stop shop when it comes to this. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it, it definitely helps, you know, being able to deal with the owners because, you know, sometimes we have to get a lot of people involved in these cases. And so sometimes the communication becomes a little difficult between the veterinarian, the owner, the farrier, um, nutrition consultants, different things, you know, to try to get these horses balanced out in, in every aspect of that. Um, you know, to help their feet out. Definitely. Well, it's a really, really cool combination. And, um, you know, I pulled together today to talk about with you um, five common hoof issues that <laughs> chances are if you have horses long enough, you'll run into one or more or all of these problems. And I know we'd all love to hear your opinion on them from the perspective of a farrier slash nutritionist slash veterinarian um, and the steps that you take to treat or care for them. So the first one is it's cracks, which I know, you know, hoof cracks, there's a wide spectrum of hoof cracks. And 
some of them are, are mild and they can be really more superficial flaws just kind of caused by the environment. But other ones uh, like heel cracks or toe cracks can be quite painful. And then there is the dreaded quarter cracks in particular, which can be really painful, really difficult to manage and, and can lead to some really lame horses. So um, Corey, tell me a little bit about making the best plan for these cracks. What are some causes of them and, and what do you do to help balance, stabilize, help to repair some of the more severe cracks that you see? Yeah, so Emily, kind of like you mentioned, you know, the first approach um, that we want to do is, is try to determine, you know, where in the foot the crack is located, you know, whether it's a toe crack um, or a quarter crack would be your, your two most common cracks that we'll see. Um, both of those normally have a different cause. And so, um, you know, based upon that location, then we will decide, you know, is it a superficial crack, like you mentioned, or is it a deeper crack? So superficial just mean, you know, does that crack only involve the exterior hoof wall, the part that is insensitive, that is not painful, um, that we trim, you know, just like a fingernail that, that, that has no sensation to it or pain. Um, the deeper hoof cracks, which go in deeper inside the hoof, um, you know, those, those can involve the sensitive parts of the foot inside the hoof wall, which do have nerves in them and cause pain. They have blood vessels. Um, you know, things like that. And so that's really going to determine how we treat these. Um, a lot of your toe cracks that I see um, are caused by excess hoof growth or an excessively long toe. Um, there's too much force put at the front of the foot. Um, and when the toe hits the ground, it's kind of like a lever arm and that force transfers up the hoof wall. And it can start getting weak at the bottom and it can start splitting. Um, the quarter cracks, again, all the cracks related to, for the most part, an imbalance of loading that foot in flight. So when that horse picks his foot up every time and he sets it down, whether at a walk, whether at you know, whatever gait, he's putting force on the bottom of that foot. And the ideal foot is designed to kind of bear weight evenly across its surface. That's what we refer to as farriers. You'll hear us talk about balance all the time. And, and that's just what balance is, is balance is saying, you know, when we put that foot on the ground, that foot is for the most part equally bearing weight across its surface. So imbalance is when we have too much weight on a cert certain part of the foot and we start overloading it and it can just can't hold up to under that, uh, under a lot of that stress and too much of a load there. And so the hoof capsule will actually start pulling apart and we will start getting these cracks. And so the treatment of them, um, you know, is first we need to redistribute the load, you know, over the rest of the foot as much as possible and then try to minimize the amount of stress that we're putting on the area of the crack, whether that be at the toe or whether that be at the quarter. Um, you know, quarter cracks are the ones that, that people get most concerned about because they do tend um, to be a little worse. They tend to, to be deeper. They tend to progress up toward the coronary band and they get into those areas um, of sensitive tissue 
and viable tissue there that do cause the horse pain and problems. And so the superficial cracks, you know, in kind of opposition, they're, you know, if they are caught early, a lot of times we can just, you know, resolve those with just a good balance trim, a good fitting shoe on the horse um, and reducing that stress on it. And those will kind of grow out and go away on their own without any kind of aggressive intervention. But these really bad quarter cracks that we see, um, you know, we'll first, like I said, we'll try to redistribute the load, whether that be with, you know, some type of bar shoe, whether that be, um, you know, some type of, uh, uh, you know, pour in packing material, something that takes the stress off of the outer rim of that hoof where the crack is starting. Um, and so, you know, once we do that, sometimes that's enough. Uh, the crack will stop. We can just kind of treat it like that and let it grow down. But some of the really bad ones and the really deep ones, we have to be a little bit more aggressive in our treatment of those. And we'll actually have to use something, um, some kind of fixation device to be able to to basically, you know, wire or use some metal bands to, to hold that crack together so that it doesn't continue to split and get deeper and progress up to the coronary band and cause the horse, uh, you know, more pain. And Corey, I know you said, you know, balance, balance is like the, the almighty word for every farrier. And it seems like in all these different topics that we're going to be talking about today, balance is, is really what, what you're shooting for. It's the goal. Um, is balance something that as a farrier you can see when you're just looking at the horse, like from the naked eye, or is there any kind of like tool that you use or, or is that just something that you, you know, as in your training as being, you know, a longtime farrier? Well, First, you know, everyone out here, even the farriers, have an idea of an ideal balanced foot. Um, to answer both parts of that question, yes, when you when you walk up to a horse as a trained farrier um, or trained veterinarian, a lot of times, you know, you're just looking at that horse's hoof conformation. Um, you know, whether it has flares, whether it has a long toe, a low heel. Uh, whether it's an upright kind of club foot, you know, all those things play into balance, whether it's low on the inside, um, high on the outside or vice versa. Um, but also, you know, picking the foot up from the bottom, you know, there are some parameters that we use as farriers to be able to take some measurements and determine the proportions of the foot from left to right, front to back, um, to kind of make sure that those are evenly spaced out and distanced. Um, one thing though that I would like to mention is that, you know, very few horses out there, you're going to be able to achieve this ideal balance. Um, most of that, you know, comes down to the fact that, you know, very few horses have, you know, what we call perfect confirmation. You know, every horse out there just about has some little deviation, you know, maybe what we call just a less than ideal uh, leg confirmation and it, uh, that all contributes to the way the hoof grows. So what I like to tell my clients and what I like to tell you know other farriers veterinarians is you know some horses you just cannot achieve the ideal perfect balance. All we are trying to do is we're trying to manage that foot between the shoeing interval whether that's you know five or six weeks um, you know 
to manage the growth, to, to have the best balance that we can achieve for that horse's confirmation. Perfect. Thank you. Um, yeah, I know that's, that's, so don't get, don't get really upset if your horse is a little turned in or a little, you know, right. has one foot a little smaller than the other one. That's what Corey and all the farriers are here for is to make right. sure that they, you know, bring out the best that your horse can be in his feet because nobody's horse's feet are perfect. And that's, that's a big takeaway. You know, if, 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 if owners could take away that one thing from here, you know, I've had owners tell me, you know, well, I think his toe's still too long or he needs to, you know, don't trim any heel and leave them stacked up in the back. And, you know, uh, the reality is, is that, you know, when we look at an ideal foot, sure, that's the way it looks. But I mean, there's many horses out here um, that you just cannot achieve that 100% of the time. You know, we can try it with wedge pads and different specialty shoes, you know, to try to get these ideal angles and these ideal, you know, foot conformations and balances. But, you know, it can be counterproductive in some horses. I mean, I have, you know, some horses that, that I still uh, treat right now that, uh, you know, they had, have had some, you know, past bouts of laminitis or they just have a really bad foot conformation. And the more that you try to make it, you know, what you think it should be, the, the worse that horse gets as far as being lame in performance. So sometimes you just have to compromise and, and just do what you can, uh, even though it, it doesn't look as good as you think it should, but as long as the horse, you know, A, is comfortable, uh, you know, B, and uh, is able to do what the owner, you know, wants it to, to do uh, at its performance level, then, then I think that's what we should be shooting for. Absolutely. Catering to the individual horse. Okay, the second one um, that I want you to talk about is, um, what about hoof abscesses? Uh, I know... <sighs> As a lot of horse owners know, they can happen extremely fast. It seems like, you know, overnight and be really ouchy. Um, and really, you can go out and see your horse and you're looking at him in the, in the field or the stall or whatever. And you're like, oh my gosh, either the horse has a broken leg or, or a hoof abscess. It can, it, it's so painful that it could go either way by how they're acting. Um, what causes these abscesses and, and what, what do you do to offer some pain relief? Yeah, so you're exactly right. You know, most of these abscesses, you know, they present as fine one day and then and then the next day they're three-legged lame. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what we do. You know, when your veterinarian comes out to look at them, you know, first we want to, you know, uh, determine, you know, is this an abscess, which, you know, is the most common cause of a horse to be acutely three-legged lame like that um, when he was fine a day before or to a fracture like you mentioned. And so, um, you know, we'll use a combination of, hoof testers and uh you know sometimes take some radiographs of the hoof capsule to look at the coffin bone and things like that um you know to determine where we have an abscess um uh, and as far as treatment goes you know it kind of depends um you know sometimes the abscess is real superficial to the bottom of the foot kind of the sole area you know and sometimes with her hoof tester we're able to go around the foot and then we're able to isolate where we think that that abscess is determined on the horse's response to pain, uh, you know, when we're hoof testing, um, you know, and at that point, you know, most people will go ahead and, and try to establish a drain track in the bottom of that foot um, if possible, because, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to relieve the pressure that's causing that horse pain. Um, you know, an abscess is, is an infection inside the hoof. Um, it gets walled off and, and essentially um, the bacteria and the cells that are, in, that are, that are going into that abscess 
um, they are building up pressure in there and it's pressing on these sensitive materials inside the hoof, such as the lamina. Um, and that's what's causing your pain. Um, and so, you know, just like you've seen, you know, a horse that has an abscess on his skin, you know, most veterinarians are going to lance that abscess or they're going to, you know, poke it with something to be able to drain, uh, you know, that, that pus and that infected material out. And so, you know, that's the same principle we're trying to do on these foot abscesses. Um, and so, you know, they will try to take a hoof knife or something and, and try to dig a hole enough to get that abscess to start draining on its own. And, and normally, you know, these will resolve pretty quickly if we can get that pressure off. Um, you know, the, the second type of abscess that we see is kind of a deeper abscess that, you know, we're just not able to establish that drain track. You know, it may be, you know, farther up in the hoof capsule or deeper inside the capsule. Um, and it just hasn't progressed yet to, uh, to the point to be superficial enough that we can get a drain track. Um, you know, sometimes we can determine that with radiographs. Um, the, the bacteria that are in there will produce gas uh, that will show up inside that hoof uh, on an x-ray. Uh, and we can kind of determine the area, but still, you know, we don't want to go and, and dig away so much hoof and sole um, that were actually counterproductive, you know, to the horse because, you know, uh, I've seen people, you know, dig and dig and dig and have a huge hole in the sole. They still didn't get any drainage to the abscess. Uh, now your horse still has abscess, plus he has a big hole in his foot that your farrier is going to have to manage, you know, for some time down the road until that grows back. And so those type of abscesses, you know, we like to go ahead and, and try to treat them, you know, with your, you know, traditionally, you know, soaking them and in, in, in some type of what we call a, uh, you know, some kind of osmotic agent that's going to, to try to draw out with salt or something else, draw out that abscess from the foot. Um, you know, and that's where your Epsom salts come in, uh, you know, your poultice pads, things like that, that we can just, you know, put that inside a foot bandage, whether it's Epsom salt or, uh, or Epsom salt paste or the poultice pad, wrap the horse's foot up, um, you know, give them some, some NSAID, some Banamine, um, you know, for pain control um, or some butte and, uh, and then just kind of let that abscess progress on its own. And most of the time they will break out on their own. Um, those tend to break out, you know, somewhere around the coronary band, around the hairline or around the heel bulb area. Um, you know, one, one important concept for that to understand why that happens instead of coming, some come out the sole and some come out uh, the coronary band is because, you know, the, the, the drainage from the abscess and the, and the gas and the production is going to take the path of the path of least resistance. Um, and so obviously that area around the hairline, around the heel bulb is, is soft skin compared to that, um, you know, very hard hoof capsule. And so that's where it tends to break out. And then once those abscesses break out, normally, you know, the, the, the majority of the horses, they're going to immediately have an improvement, um, you know, in their lameness. And, uh, you know, usually, you know, three to five days down the road, uh, sometimes maybe a week or longer, depending, you know, those horses are going to be healed up uh, pretty well and going to be able to get back into work. That's great. That's, it's, it's amazing how quickly they develop. And once you, they find a way to, you know, um, come, you know, are able to come out, how, how quickly the relief comes to. 
yeah it's 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 very very satisfying to see a horse you know that it's that lame and be able to be able to treat it that quickly and get them comfortable definitely well my the next one number three is a really widespread widespread problem um white line disease and Corey, you can correct me if i'm wrong here on this but it's my understanding the white line is the junction of the hoof wall in the sole or or kind of where the insensitive and sensitive areas of the hoof meet um it seems that environment and climate play a significant role in white line disease what's what's your experience with this one yeah um this is a kind of an area um that i'm really interested in because in this part of texas we do uh, combat a lot of white line disease pro problems um, is it from the moisture like from the houston area yeah. being a very humid area well, and that's a good question. You know, there, there's a lot of unknown factors about white line disease. Um, you know, of course, yes, it is contributed in some part to the moisture, to the environment, um, you know, but it can be very localized. You know, you can go to one farm and, and not have any problems, and then you go, you know, 10 miles down the road to another farm, and, you know, 75% of the horses there have a little bit um, of white line disease problems. And so, you know, to, to back up a step, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a multi um, factorial disease process. And so, you know, what that means is there's just different things that are playing a role. Um, you know, it can be, you know, anything from, you know, the actual hoof care, um, you know, from the farrier perspective, whether the foot is imbalanced, because going back to talking about that, any time that we have a, a, a hoof that is not imbalanced, we get flares, we get distortion in the hoof capsule. Um, and just like with cracks, there's pulling of that hoof capsule. And what happens is, is that hoof capsule microscopically will open up um, there's little tubules that run down the hoof wall and these are normally supposed to be packed in really tight but that stress over time uh, can can widen these little areas um, between these tubules microscopically and you know that allows microorganisms um, you know such as bacteria um, you know and, and fungus to actually uh, migrate up and get in these little pockets and go up the hoof wall and that kind of plays into the environmental aspect so yes if it's an unsanitary uh, environment if it's uh, you know if, if it's wet um, you know depending on the soil type and what types of, of bacteria that are out there you know I would like to clarify that you know sometimes I get questions from owners because I don't really like the way that that the, that the that white line disease is named. Um, you know, it has disease at the end of it, and it is a disease. But a lot of people will read that and think, "Oh, you know, this is something that you know that is contagious." You know, from one horse to the next, and 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 that's not really true. It's mostly environmental, um, you know, organisms that are naturally found out in the environment and the soil um, that are that are causing these problems. Um, you know, the third aspect of it um, is nutrition. You know, if we don't have the nutrition right, uh, you know, in these horses and they're not getting the amount of essential nutrients that they need uh, for good hoof health, um, then we have poor hoof quality uh, and the hoof wall is not as healthy as it should be. And that also allows 
um, you know, for these openings to open up in the bottom of the foot microscopically and the organisms go up in it. Uh, and part of it's genetics. I mean, I, I really think that genetics plays a huge role in it too. I mean, like I said, you know, with the confirmation, I mean, some horses are just born, um, you know, with, you know, either less than ideal confirmation, you know, uh, uh, skeletal wise or bone wise, or, you know, less than ideal hoof wall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's just some of those horses out there. So I think that it's a multifactorial, um, cause that causes this. And, and, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of debate in the farrier world and the veterinary world on, you know, what causes it, what's the best way to treat it, um, you know, and, and how we can prevent it. Um, and so, Corey, you know, is it something that when horses, um, you know, if they have it one time, they're more likely to have it reoccurring or not necessarily? I mean, not necessarily in my opinion. I mean, some of this is just going to be in my opinion, like I said, because sure. there's just not a lot of evidence uh, based, uh, you know, research out there to do with, with white line disease. A lot of it's just anecdotal from, you know, one farrier or, you know, or one veterinarian to the next. But, you know, what we do know as far as moving into the treatment of it um, is that, you know, you have to expose that area of the foot um, to oxygen. Um, a lot of these organisms that we find up in there are anaerobic, so they, they don't like the presence of oxygen. Um, and so that's why they like to get in behind the hoof wall and migrate up um, and eat away at the hoof wall because it pr- promotes a, them a little nice environment there to live in that's protected behind the hoof wall. They like to feed on the the keratin, which is the protein, um, you know, that the, that, the, that the hoof is made out of. Um, and they just have them a nice little place there uh, to kind of hang out and propagate and eat away at your horse's foot. And so, you know, the, the, the kind of the right now, the, the best treatment or uh, uh, that we can do for this condition is to actually do, you know, what's called a hoof wall resection, which is to go in and take out that portion of exterior hoof wall um, that has been affected and is kind of over that area um, of the white line disease. And so that does two things. One, it opens it up to oxygen, which naturally bacteria um, can't propagate and survive, you know, in that kind of environment that's oxygen rich. And two, it, it allows us to treat it because, you know, there, there's some horses out there that you don't even know they have white line disease. I mean, I'm treating one currently that you know, is, is a nice hunter jumper that just had a little bitty hole at the toe uh, that you could probe. But when you put it exteriorly from the outside of the, of the hoof, um, you know, hoof looked completely normal, but you could stick a probe, you know, 75% of the way up to the coronary band. Wow. Um, you know, the owner and trainer both had no idea that this was going on. And so, you know, we, we remove a big section of that, that hoof wall, put a shoe on to stabilize the area. Uh, then we can put some, you know, some antiseptic, some antimicrobial, um, you know, solutions up in that area and keep it cleaned out and exposed to oxygen. And then while the rest of the hoof grows down and covers it. And when you're talking about, I know um, if you've ever seen, I've just seen pictures of these resections, but they can look fairly gnarly, right? I mean, they it, can. And, yeah. and that's what I, I warn every owner. You know, I said, you know, this is, this is one of those things that, you know, owners do not like. Um, they do not like, you know, because it does, it looks really gnarly, uh, and it looks bad. Um, you know, most of the time, um, if you catch it early enough and it, it hasn't progressed to the fact that it's getting near the coronary band and near, you know, really sensitive structures, 
um, you know, it doesn't really cause the horse that much pain to do the resection. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but, uh, you know, it has to be done because, you know, in my opinion, you cannot treat that. There's no way to treat it because you can't get to it. You know, you can, you can try to, you know, squirt things in there from the bottom of the hoof and, you know, people have tried, you know, all the thrush treatments, they've tried, uh, you know, different kind of antiseptic solutions, whether it be something with betadine or copper sulfate or whatever. Um, but, you know, it's still, you have to get that cleaned out and get all the infected hoof out of it and get down to healthy hoof before you can start growing because if not you know this bacteria and fungus it'll just keep propagating and keep eating away at your hoof wall um, you know some of the cases out there i mean they can get so severe that you can actually have some uh, mechanical rotation um, you know kind of like you would with a laminitic course um, just from the simple fact that it's eaten away all the area from the between, like you said, the the white line is the attachment of the the internal um, portion of the foot with the external, and it kind of interdigitates, meaning like it like if you clasp your hands with your fingers, that's what that means is that you know it has little finger like projections. And, you know, every other one, the internal locks in with the external portion of the hoof wall and it eats away at that until there's no connection left there. And then the bone and all the sensitive structures can actually, you know, rotate down kind of like a laminitic course. So, you know, we, I like to just go ahead and, and be aggressive from the start um, and get these things resolved as fast as we can. But, you know, your original question was, you know, do we see it repeat? I, I don't really have an answer for that because there's no consistency in it. Some horses, you know, you can do a resection um, and, and they will never have a problem again. And, and other horses, they're recurrent. So okay. I don't have a good answer for that one. Nope, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Um, the next one that I, I really can't wait to hear your thoughts on is uh, navicular syndrome. And this is one that I hear personally about myself from from horse owners and clients I mean all the time <laughs> and from what I understand uh, navicular syndrome is a lot of times interchangeably called navicular disease or just navicular um, but it's a group of abnormalities relating to the navicular bone and usually in, in both of the front feet uh, and I've, I've heard as a as a farrier or a vet or both in your case, um, that these cases can be really difficult to treat. Um, Corey, what's, what's the deal with navicular? Do, do some horses get it more than others? Is it something that older horses are bound to get? Uh, what, what do you do for these guys? Well, you know, navicular is, is thrown around pretty loosely in my opinion. Um, you know, 20 years ago when I started this journey of hoof care, um, you know, there wasn't a lot known about it. You know, basically all that was known is that the navicular bone, you know, inside the foot um, would deteriorate. Um, and that was, that was what caused a, a lame horse or what caused the horse to be what they would term back then, you know, as navicular disease. Um, you know, and so fast forwarding to now, um, kind of the things that, that we have learned about navicular um, over the years. Um, is that it, a lot of times it, it, it just doesn't involve the bone. Um, it, it involves a lot, it can involve the bone, but it can involve a lot of the soft tissue structure surrounding that bone at the back part of the foot. 
Um, and so, you know, back then, you know, navicular was diagnosed basically two ways. It was diagnosed by, you know, doing a nerve block in the back of the foot to desensitize that area. Um, and then it was diagnosed by taking a, taking an x-ray, you know, of that navicular bone and looking for changes in it. And so, you know, if the horse blocked and became sound when you blocked the back part of his foot and you saw changes, uh, you know, deteriorating changes to that bone, um, on a radiograph, then, um, you know, that horse was determined as, as having navicular disease. Today, we have a lot more advanced imaging techniques available, you know, specifically, um, you know, like MRI, um, that we can actually look at some of these very small soft tissue structures that, uh, that are associated with the back part of the foot and they're kind of located around a navicular bone area. Um, and that's kind of when the name changed to navicular syndrome because, you know, it's kind of a combination of a damage to the bone and damage to some of the soft tissue structures that are involved with the navicular apparatus there in the back of the foot. Um, and so sometimes, my point is, is sometimes horses will have navicular type clinical signs um, me, meaning they have pain in the back part of their foot, but they may not have any bony changes yet um, on an x-ray. Mm -hmm. And so those are the horses that are tricky because, you know, the question becomes, well, is this navicular or is it not? Um, you know, the only way to find out for sure would be to send the horse for an MRI. Uh, but that's not always feasible. You know, sometimes that's cost prohibitive. Um, and so, you know, then what we try to do is, you know, I try to say, you know, from a farrier standpoint, does this horse have pain in the back of his foot and is it related to the navicular bone or is it not? Um, the thing is, is we're going to treat it the same most of the time, okay. uh, is from a farrier standpoint, we're going to try to get that foot again, going back to balance. We're going to try to balance that foot from a farrier standpoint. Um, as good as we can for that horse's confirmation. The other part of your question was that, you know, do we tend to see this, you know, in older horses, you know, what population of horses is it old, young, breed related? Um, and, and that also um, is a good question. You know, what we know is that this navicular syndrome for the most part is caused by, again, excessive concussion and excessive force to the back part of the foot, to the heel area over time. So yes, we do tend to see this show up, um, you know, in our middle age to older horses, especially the horses that are, that are athletes that are competing and putting a lot of stress on that area. Um, but it's not impossible to see it in a younger horse. You know, that goes back to the genetic aspect. Some horses confirmationally, um, you know, some, they just tend to bear more weight or put more force in the back part of the foot. And that can progress a little earlier in life to show up, uh, you know, as a navicular type horse. Um, the other thing is, you know, breed related. We do tend to see um, a higher incidence of navicular syndrome horses in the quarter horse population you know especially here in texas where you know uh, quarter horses you know are, are the very dominant breed um you know around here when in the western performance horse industry um and a lot of these horses tend to have a a very upright confirmation they tend to have very small feet um and yes yeah, some of those horses are predisposed 
um, to develop navicular syndrome. Um, you know, I deal a lot with warm bloods here around the Houston area. Um, while not impossible in the warm bloods, you know, I just don't see it a lot. You know, it's, uh, it is warm bloods tend to, tend to have their own set of problems. And so navicular, um, a lot of times, you know, it, in those horses, in my opinion, we don't see the navicular changes as much as we do. We do see pain in the back part of the foot, but it's actually not changes to the navicular bone. Um, so we don't, we, we do treat a few of them, but it's just not as prevalent as in the quarter horse population. Corey, is it, uh, is it something that, um, it, it, can it be a single leg or is it, is it usually they're, they're kind of changing or deteriorating or whatever in, in both kind of equally? Yeah, you know, and, and that, a lot of that depends upon the confirmation. You know, some of the horses that have like a one real upright foot and some horses that, you know, have a, what we call a high-low horse, which has a really upright clubby foot on one foot and a really low heel long toe on the other. You know, sometimes those horses, um, you know, will develop in one, one leg or uh, the other a little more. But, you know, most horses that have in one, we're going to want to continue to monitor even though we don't diagnose it in both front feet mm -hmm. um, at the same time you know you're going to want to continue to monitor that to look for changes in the other in the other leg as well okay and then is there is there a certain kind of go-to shoe that you use for this or it totally depends on the horse uh, if, I know I think I had heard you you mentioned before you you prefer these guys to be in a, a pretty short uh, interval kind of a, more like a four week deal. I don't know. What, what do you, what do you usually do? Well, you know, the first to address the shoe, you know, it, it's not necessarily a, you know, a specific, this is the cure all shoe. It's going to be individualized, but the things that we're looking for, uh, in the shoe, we're trying to enhance that mechanical function of the foot. You know, mm -hmm. that's things like break over, um, you know, that reduces, you know, the leverage on the foot. And what we're trying to do is we're wanting to reduce the leverage and the pull on these soft tissue structures that run over the navicular bone. Um, just like, you know, the deep digital flexor tendon, you know, being the, the primary, primary one. Um, and so, yes, I mean, a shoe with some kind of roll toe, rocker toe, um, a shoe with a lot of times some type of heel elevation um, that, that actually, you know, aligns the the bones in the leg and the foot up a little better um you know and and sometimes we'll put some protection um under that back part of the foot whether that be with a some type of bar shoe or some type of pad to kind of protect that back part of the foot from hitting the ground so much um you know uh it, and like you just said what i'd mentioned in the article was you know it really doesn't matter, you know, you can put the best shoe on these horses, you know, that, that you can find. Um, but what I see is most of these horses really have to be on a short cycle because they are, they are really sensitive to minute changes in the angles of the foot and the balance to the foot. So, you know, your farrier can come out he can set these horses up in a really nice shoeing package and that horse may be pain free, you know, combined with what the veterinarian's doing from the pain control standpoint with the mm -hmm. shoeing. But then, you know, three to four weeks, you know, out, these horses start getting a little lame again, a little ouchy on those feet uh, because that foot is constantly growing. Um, 
growing out and we're losing that ideal angle and that ideal balance that we started out with. So some of these horses, you know, in my opinion, they can't go, you know, uh, the full, you know, five or six weeks. Some of these horses need to be managed, you know, maybe something more around the four week, uh, shoeing interval to keep those angles, you know, consistent, the same, um, you know, as we can over time. Sure. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, thank you for that. All right. So the last one that I want to hear about, which I'm sure you know what's coming, uh, laminitis. It's the second biggest killer of horses after colic, an insidious, serious disease of the hoof. Um, obviously, capability of having really long-lasting and crippling uh, effects. Um, I want to hear your experience with this one and, and kind of your plan of attack. I know it's a really tricky issue and probably depends a lot on what's causing it, how far along the horse is, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, kind of like I had mentioned, um, you know, in the article, you know, what we want to do is, you know, we want to break the laminitis down into two major categories, one being acute laminitis, the other being, you know, chronic. And most people, you know, most horse owners, when they think about laminitis, um, you know, they associate this with, with founder, right? I mean, that's kind of the term that everybody likes to, you know, that throw, they throw around as, you know, the horse is foundered. Um, I would like to mention that, you know, laminitis is, is a huge spectrum. And so laminitis, all that means is that we have inflammation of the lamina, which is the sensitive part of the foot between the bone and the hoof capsule. And it's that, that interdigitating or that interlocking tissue that I mentioned previously um, that suspends and holds that coffin bone inside the hoof capsule. And so laminitis is inflammation of that sensitive tissue. The, the horseman term founder, I like to use that to reserve to actual rotation of the coffin bone. Mm -hmm. So those are, those are sometimes can be mutually exclusive. Sometimes you can have a bout of laminitis, but you don't have the rotation or the sinking in the bone if called er, caught early enough. So the horse hasn't really foundered yet because we don't have that, that rotation. So that acute laminitis is, you know, that's what we think about, you know, when we talk about like, you know, grain or carbohydrate overload, you know, like your horse getting in the feed room. Um, you know, the, the, the laminitis calls from lush green pasture, you know, in the spring, if the horse is not accustomed to that, you turn them out um, and they get laminitis. Um, you know, those are, you know, things like, uh, you know, severe colic, endotoxemia from being really, uh, really ill horse. Those things, um, you know, tend to cause, um, you know, acute laminitis where the horse has been fine and all of a sudden, you know, we have this you go out and the horse has this, you know, very lame on both front feet. He has this, you know, classic kind of saw horse stance that we call where he's rocked back on his hind limbs, um, you know, kind of stretching out his front limbs uh, to try to get the weight off of those very painful front limbs. You know, that's, that's what we refer to as cute. Um, you know, kind of the chronic laminitis cases that we see, sometimes those progress in a little different fashion uh, than your, than your traditional laminitis, you know, these are things that, that we see that, you know, maybe they were acutely laminitic at one time and, and they recovered, but now they kind of have these, um, ongoing changes in the lamina of the foot. 
Um, but a lot of the times we see these, you know, caused by things, you know, such as endocrine disease um, in horses. Um, you know, just, just like in humans, um, you know, insulin plays a very, very huge role in the physiology of the body. Um, and so uh, there, there's two different types of endocrine diseases that are very prevalent in the horse population out there. Uh, one of them being uh, what's called equine metabolic uh, syndrome, um, which is just insulin resistance, or now it's kind of termed insulin dysregulation. The other being um, PPID, or better known as equine Cushing's disease. And so both of those um, work in a little different way. Uh, equine metabolic syndrome is related to insulin in the body, um, whereas Cushing's disease is, uh, is related more to um, the adrenal glands and, uh, and the brain and some of the levels of ACTH, some of the, the other um, chemicals in, in the body. And so both of these, though, can cause laminitis. And what we see with these type horses in the chronic laminitics is that these physiological changes in the body, you know, they happen slowly over time. And the lamina is very, very sensitive tissue, or tissue in the foot. Um, and these little connections that kind of hold the bone to the hoof capsule, they're, they're very sensitive to any kind of change in the blood or, or any kind of insult. And so what happens with these endocrine diseases is we can get you know, one inflammation in that lamina, we can get um, some reduced blood flow to that foot. And these little connections um, between the interior and the exterior lamina, they can break down. And that's what causes the rotation in the foot, or that's what causes the sinking of the bone inside that foot. Um, and so I see that um, a lot more day to day, these horses that have really slow changes than I do the ones that we, uh, that we go out and, you know, they're just acutely foundering out of the field. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that is, um, the ones that you, that you have the chronic issues. I guess my question is for ones that start to slowly rotate, is there a way of, are you just trying to do damage control or can they grow out enough soul or whatever to try to like almost correct the problem? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, you know, the first thing that we have to do on the, on the kind of these chronic laminitic horses is first, you know, figure out from the veterinary standpoint, you know, what is the cause? You know, if it is an endocrine disease that is causing um, this chronic laminitis in this horse and this chronic breakdown of the lamina and changes in the rotation in the coffin bone, then we need to fix the disease because all the shoeing, all the, the farrier care in the world won't resolve the problem unless we fix what is going on with the horse physiologically. So, um, you know, those horses need to be tested uh, for endocrine disease for either, you know, equine metabolic syndrome or Cushing's. Um, and then the veterinarian will come up with a plan for that horse, um, you know, that'll be, you know, being treated medically, uh, being treated through their diet, um, you know, different things that will stop the inflammation of the lamina. Once we get that stopped, then yes, our goal then as the farrier becomes, how can we manage this now um, compromised hoof capsule to make it less painful to the horse and to make it grow down into that more ideal hoof, um, you know, that we like to think about. And there's many ways to do that. You know, sometimes it is just done through trimming. Sometimes there's, you know, different types of special shoes that we can put on. 
um, you know, to try to, to, to hold that foot together and support that coffin bone inside the foot uh, since it's lost attachment to the hoof capsule, um, you know, until those attachments can hopefully grow back over time. I know that's, I know this is probably a subject that you could spend the rest of the day going into. Yeah, it is. I mean, this is, you could have this a podcast just on laminitis. I mean, it's. I uh, could give you a personal case study that, you know, you can dissect as well. Um, There's a lot to it. There is a lot to it. Uh, The last thing that I wanted to pick your brain about, mostly because you are very uniquely equipped to talk about it, um, and is the nutrition background and, and, I guess not necessarily in terms of actual the diseases that we've just been talking about, because you kind of mentioned when nutrition was a, a component of those ones, but it more in general, equine foot health, um, wh- where does nutrition play a role in that? Well, I mean, it, it plays a role. It's like I said, you know, the things that, that we look for for the ideal foot or, you know, can we get, you know, can we get the hoof care and the farrier aspect right? Can we get the environment right? you know, and can we get the, can we get the nutrition right? And so um, it plays a huge role in it because, you know, the, the cells that are actually at the top, at the coronary band that are actually generating and making the hoof wall, um, they need the proper amounts, uh, you know, and proportions of the central nutrients to be able to form good, healthy hoof wall to be able to grow down. Um, you know, if you don't have um, you know, the proper nutrition, then, then you can, you know, do all the other things correctly, uh, but you will still have a very unhealthy, a very poor quality foot um, just because you don't have those nutritional building blocks there uh, to be able to have the healthy hoof wall. Um, you know, and, and it even becomes more important, you know, in these horses that I just previously mentioned, you know, with your, your endocrine disease type horses, um, you know, those horses really need a tailored nutrition program. Um, we need to be able to reduce, you know, the non-structural carbohydrates in those diets. We need to be able, um, you know, to optimize the forage. We need to be able to reduce the calories and try to do them, doing this all at the same time, um, you know, can cause some problems because we're trying to reduce calories. Um, we're trying to reduce carbohydrates by doing things like soaking hay, feeding either no grain or um, a very low carbohydrate grain or feed Um, and sometimes those horses you know may not be getting all the essential uh, minerals and vitamins uh, you know that they need to be able to go ahead and grow that good hoof wall and so you know that's where I like to you know add things like supplements uh, you know things like that Um, you know platinum hoof support, you know, things that have biotin, things that have the trace minerals like, you know, zinc, manganese, copper, cobalt, you know, uh, some of the sulfur containing essential amino acids. It's important uh, for hoof growth, such as lysine, methionine, um, you know, to make sure that these horses are, are getting enough, even in a reduced diet. But this also, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, from the high level performance horses that, that I primarily deal with, um, you know, these horses are, are, are work very hard. They're work, you know, um, six days a week, you know, uh, sometimes seven days a week. And so, um, you know, they have a lot of stress on their feet. They have a lot of breakdown just because of the jobs they do. Um, and having, uh, having adequate nutrition in the, uh, in the proper amount is very important because uh, you cannot overcome bad nutrition. Is, is there something that you would tell 
clients, like if you're like, okay, you know, your horse has not necessarily genetically, because there are some horses that just have kind of genetically poor hooves that you can, you know, give them all the building blocks that they need. And they're still just going to kind of have, have poor ones. But for the ones that, that, you know, nutrition is, you're pretty confident is going to make a, a difference in, um, what's something that you tell these clients that, you know, you're like, Hey, here's the supplement, try it. You're going to have to keep on it. Um, do you see that they, you know, I don't know, do they have trouble following directions? I know we live in a very instantaneous world and that really isn't the case when it comes to trying to, uh, help hoof health. Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, every, every new case that, that, that I take on, um, you know, we have the, 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 the discussion about nutrition, you know, even, even with, you know, just talking about what we're going to do from the farrier standpoint, we discuss nutrition, just like I said, because it's so important, you know, and I'll recommend a hoof supplement to them. Um, but, you know, I always give them the disclaimer is that, hey, you know, this is something that is going to take time. You know, the horse's feet didn't get, um, you know, in bad shape, out of balance, poor quality, whatever the concern is overnight. Um, and so it's going to take some time to get them back to the condition that we want them. And that especially, um, you know, is important with nutrition because, you know, with the supplementation, with a good feed, uh, you know, those, the hoof is being propagated and it is grown, you know, from the hairline down essentially. And so, you know, what you're doing, the, 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 the part of the hoof wall that's at the ground in some cases was grown anywhere from nine to 12 months ago for this coming from the hairline and going down. And so when you feed anything, any kind of hoof supplement or anything like that, all you're doing is you are feeding that new growth at the very top of the hoof at the hairline. And so you know, you're not going to see a change overnight. And, and definitely, you know, sometimes, you know, we're not even talking weeks, we're talking months down the road, we start to see, you know, as that growth progresses down toward the ground, we will start to see that it's healthier. And so, you know, all you can do as a farrier is to manage that poor growth or that, that not poor growth, but poor quality hoof that we already have down near the ground, mm -hmm. manage that, try to keep it, you know, held together and try to keep it as balanced as we can until that new growth comes down. And then we're in business. Then, you know, we have some good healthy hoofs. So I would just say, you know, people really need to be committed with a hoof supplement and know that, you know, this is not something that, that, that is suddenly going to help your horse overnight, but in the long in the long term, um, you know, it is going to help and that's really going to help your horse's hoof quality. Definitely. Yep. 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 You stay committed. It's a slow process, <laughs> but it's worth it. Um, well, I think it's safe to say that healthy, balanced feet are the foundation for every horse. Um, and when something is a little off there, it affects so much more of, you know, the, the overall entire animal. Uh, Corey, you had mentioned a couple times the article. Corey had been interviewed for an article that um, that we featured in the Platinum Magazine, which is volume 17. So if that's not something that you have seen or read about, uh, please go online and, and um, subscribe to that because he, uh, he does a great job talking about more in-depth hoof stuff in that article too called From the Ground Up. Um, Corey, thank you so much for your time, expertise today. Um, it was really, really amazing. We appreciate it so much. All right. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you guys all for stopping by and listening to the Platinum Podcast. It starts with, and we will see you next time.